0: in this study in the book of James I love the book of James but I want to preface this a little bit because the last couple of weeks James is one of those people where if he walked into a church he'd probably clear the place out you know what I mean 50% of people would leave after about a month of listening to him because he is straightforward I mean James doesn't pull any punches he says if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ you better be conformed to the image of Christ and here's what that looks like but I, before, we, before I jump into this, what I want to say is, if you're a young believer, okay, then what you need to be thinking is, you know, all right, I'm just starting out. How can I, how can I become more like Christ every day? James is challenging all of us. But as a younger believer, you, want to see, you don't want to put too much pressure in the sense of, why, why am I not like, like that? Well, it's like saying to a one-year-old, why can't you be more like your 16-year-old brother? You know what I mean? Because they're one. It takes time. It takes some effort. So, so you, need to, you need to just listen and you need to grow at, at, at the pace that God is calling you to grow. For those of us who have been Christians for a long time, it's a little more difficult. Because this is who James is really talking to. He's kind of in our face. All right, he's kind of in our face. And, and, and James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 uh, is no exception. So as, as older much more mature hopefully followers of Jesus Christ, we need to take this to heart. We need to kind of reflect on ourselves and, and, and then do our best. Do the best that we can to grow and become more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's James. That's his goal. In James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 it says this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. See, pretty straightforward. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, I want to ask you, do you consider, and I mean this in a positive way, do you consider yourself a religious person? Do you consider yourself a... A good Christian, okay, or a strong Christian. And again, when I say religion, I'm not, I'm not being, you know, uh, sometimes you say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Absolutely true. But James is using, James is actually using a word here. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word translated religion is found. Very, very interesting. And it refers to a, a strict observance of, of a r- religious ceremony. A strict observance to religious ceremony. And where this came from, originally it came from peoples who were um, worshipping uh, gods. They were worshipping these gods and they wanted to make sure they were appeasing these gods. And so they would, they would, you know, make sure they're doing their, their, their religi, their probably religiosity, if you will. They were trying to make sure that they were doing as many religious activities as they possibly could to make sure they appeased their gods, and, and because it was really out of fear. It was really driven by fear. If I don't do this, this God's going to do this, or my crops are not going to come in, or I'm not going to get what. I, and so this was a, a fear-driven type of thing. So they became more religious in the, in a negative way. I need to do this in order to get this, or I need to if I don't. And for us, you know, it may be that you know I don't. I want to go to heaven, so what do I have to do? What should I do from a religious standpoint? I, I go to church, and 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 this is what James is kind of saying to us. You need to be careful that we don't fall into this same category, because as Christians, or as people who go to church, let me say, that can happen to a lot of people. You wonder sometimes, that person's going to church their whole life, they call themselves Christians, why they behave that way? Well, not, just because you, just because you come into a church and sit in in a seat doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we gotta be careful that we don't, our religion doesn't just become, "Ah, I go to church once in a while, or, you know, a couple times a month, mix me, whatever, and, uh, and I'll give a Christmas if they have a special project or whatever, and I'll throw a couple dollars in in the tithe box every once in a while, and I'll take communion, make sure I take communion, and I'll listen to the sermon. I don't, I don't. really apply it. It's, it's a whole different thing. I don't. You know. It don't, I don't need it to apply to me. I just. I listened to it. Found. I like that quote he gave, and that was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. What he's, It was kind of like a seminar. So it's kind of interesting. And that's the way some people can think. And James is saying you got to be really careful that you don't start thinking that way. See, because to James. Um, he says, what he, his, what he would say was, just because you're doing religious activities doesn't make you a godly person. Doesn't make you a spiritual person. Doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just because you're going through these, these, the motions, if you will. How do I become a religious person? I go through this, and I go through this, and I go through this, and I go through that, and I get here, and then I'm fine. And James is saying, no, you're not fine. Just because you go through these spiritual activities doesn't make you godly or spiritual or have it, it, we're living a righteous life. There's a difference between religion, okay? That is super a true religion, that is supernatural, and and a false religion that is more superficial. There's a big difference between a religion that is a true religion, that you're living it out, which is supernatural, and a false religion where you're kind of going through the spiritual motions, if you will, the religious motions, which is really superficial. And so we need to ask ourselves, how do we know that our religion is pure? Because he said religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, you know, pure and faultless. How do we know our religion is pure, And how do we know that we are living out a supernatural religion instead of a superficial religion? And it's something that we all individually need to ask ourselves. This is one of those you can, we can collectively talk about it, but individually we need to, we need to ask ourselves that question. And James, James basically says if you have real faith on the inside, it will live itself out on the outside. It will be lived out in your life. If it's living in you, if it's truly in you, then it will come out. It will be reflected on the outside. See, the test of your religion is not really... I want you to really process this through because this is is what he's talking about. It's not going through the motions. The test of our religion is not how we look and act in here, per se. That's important. We want to behave a certain, oh, behave a certain way. We want to come in and worship God and, you know, and people, you know, they, most people, you could be, you could be a person who doesn't believe in God at all and you're going to handle yourself appropriately when you're in church. Because it's, it's culturally, um, acceptable to do that. That's, that's the right thing to do. You go into a certain place and you want to be culturally accept, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be, um, disrespectful. It's respectful to behave that way in church. What James is saying is, wait a second. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people, a lot of people even sitting here this morning, I guarantee you, they, don't, they don't, may not believe in God. And part of the reason they don't believe is because they look around sometimes and say, wait, I'm not seeing this lived out on the people around me at work. Or the people, the person, this guy over here says he's a Christian, but he doesn't live that out. What James is saying, it's not really what goes on in here. It really is what happens outside of here and how you live your life at work and how you live your life at school and how you behave. We joked about it last week and week before about how you behave in a car when someone cuts you off. And how do you handle yourself when things aren't going well or someone offends you? How do you respond to them? If you say you're a Christian, James is saying you're supposed to reflect Christ in every every area of your life. So he's saying, you know, there's, there's false religion and there's true religion. And he's asking us the question, are we truly, do we truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You think about it, okay? Think about this. What if when you looked in the mirror, it reflected your spiritual maturity and your character instead of your appearance? Mirror, mirror, on the wall. Who's the most spiritual of them all? know what right? I'm saying? And it's like, not you, pal. You know, hit the road. I mean, can you imagine if you looked in the mirror and you, you had a magic mirror that, that reflected your spiritual maturity and your character, how you lived outside of what everybody kind of sees, if you had that kind of mirror instead of reflecting your appearance? That's what we're talking about. That's what the Word of God does. It, it 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 should permeate our lives. And as we look into the Word of God, we reflect on the Word of God, we realize areas where we need growth, and we try to grow in those areas. And that's what James is talking about. So he lays out three tests in this passage, James chapter 1, 26 and 27. He lays out three tests. That we can, we can, where we can reflect on our lives, okay? So we're going to look at three tests this morning. The first one, number one in his test. And we want to kind of see how we're doing. And I do not want any walk anyone walking out of here feeling beat up. If you're young in your faith, this is an area, these are areas where you need to grow. If you're older in your faith and you can stop and say, you know what? I'm old enough, I need to grow up a little bit. Uh, God, help me to start working on these areas. You leave here and you start working on them. Do not poke the person next to you, okay? Remember when we talked about a mirror? Don't turn the mirror toward the other person. Oh, can you see yourself in that one? I, I, I can. You know what I mean? Put the mirror... You, you, don't, you don't use a mirror to look at someone else, do you? You use a mirror to look at yourself. That's what we're talking about. We talked about it last week. That's what we're dealing with this morning. So the first one. Do we have a tight rein on our tongue? Can people get up and leave. Well, no, that's it for me. Lost that one. Do we ha- That's what he's asking. First, do we have a tight rein on our tongue? A true Christian has learned or is learning to make sure they are careful how they speak to other people, how they use their words. They, they, tr- they try not to use foul language. They try not to gossip. They try not to lie. They try not to thoughtlessly use their words in such a way that it would harm someone else. They try. That's their, they are trying in their lives to do that. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And that's not just talking about the two of us, you're leaving here, I give you a pat in the back, hey have a great week, and and you ask me a question, and, and, or, that's not just what he's talking about. He's talking about people who maybe are even in conflict. You're in conflict with someone else someone else has ticked you off someone else has hurt your feelings how then do you respond do I let my emotions dictate my actions James would say absolutely not he would say what be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry take a step back process through it listen to what the person is saying if they offended you how then do you speak to that person who has offended you and again, Ephesians 4, turn 9. So let's, talk, let's think about it as someone who's offended you. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You are such a... Right? No. No. But only what is helpful for building others up. According to their needs. Thinking about the other person before you think of yourself. How can I handle this in such a way that God is honored, number one, through my actions. And number two, this person learns something. This person grows. Or we come to some conclusion that is honoring to God. That it may benefit the person who listens. So here, here's this is this one was really hard for me. When I was when I when I first became a Christian, um, I was probably a two or three year old Christian at the at this point. But you have to understand, when I wasn't a Christian, I had one of the foulest mouths you'd ever want to hear. The girl who invited me to church, okay, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm leaning against some guy's car. Don't know who it was, but I was leaning on his car really disrespectfully, and and I was talking. When I was finished talking, she said, you know, you cuss 17 times in one minute. And I said, what the, blank? do you care what I mean?" And I said, 18, you know what I mean? So, and the next day she invited me to church. My point is, for someone who uses foul language all the time, you know how hard it was to break that habit? Drinking? No problem. I drank a lot. And when I got saved, boom, no problem. Using foul language, why? Because it was such an incredible habit. I used the F word to describe other words all the time. F and this, F and that, you know what I mean? And so it was really hard as a 17-year-old and a senior in high school, to break that habit, they thought I was shy when I first started going to church. Oh, he's such a shy person. He doesn't talk very much. I didn't talk very much because I was afraid to curse in front of for all these Christian people. You know what I mean? I liked them, and I wanted to be one of them. Like I wanted to be like them, so I was like, "Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine." <laughs> <laughs> you know? And they're like he's not too bright and he doesn't talk very much, but we like him. You know? Uh, <laughs> because I was afraid to talk. I was afraid to talk. So, all right, so leading up, so I, my uncle's a brigadier general, a retired brigadier general, and he would get me these cool jobs in college. So one of the jobs was that I was going to do the landscaping and help out, like, do the, the lawn maintenance stuff in this armory. And I was there. I was the only believer on this staff of people who were doing this type of job. And they found that I was a Christian because I was pretty bold and, and outward with my, with my faith. They found that I was a believer, and their goal was to make me curse that summer. And I was still young, okay? And I had overcome it, but still. And so all I thought, just don't curse. Just a whole summer. I said, hey, if I slip up, I'm not going to... I could slip up, but they were like, oh, we're going to make sure you curse this summer. So... We're in in a situation, I did great for about three weeks, and all of a sudden it starts raining one day. And I, the first guy jumps in, the driver jumps in, and then the middle guy jumps in, and I jump in a dump truck, a large dump truck. And I grab the, the door, and there's two strips of rubber on the door. And I thought my thumb was on the inside strip, but it was not. And I grabbed that door, and I slammed the door and crushed my thumb. Okay? Crushed my thumb. And all I thought was, don't curse, don't curse, don't curse. That's all I was thinking. Don't curse. And I got out of the truck and I, and excuse me if you think this is whatever, but I, and at this this point, I didn't think it was cursing at all. And I said, oh, damn it. You know what I mean? I was just so, because I thought, how stupid. You know what I mean? And they said, ah, you cursed, you cursed, you cursed. I was like, that's not a curse. Now, if, if you just slam your Finger in a dump truck door, that's not a curse. But I tried so hard to make sure that I didn't curse. And then, a little side note again, helpful tips from Pastor Jeff. I was hanging out, I was going to go to dinner with this old Norwegian guy. And he said, I said, man, my thumb is throbbing. I'm in pain. I can't come. He goes, no, you promised, you promised. You have to come over. I'm like, I can't believe this. So I go there, sees my thumb. He goes into his tool thing and he breaks out. And this is really great. He kicks out a small drill bit it's real small and he slowly with his finger goes back and forth back and forth until he gets down to where he thinks it's right about there he takes a little pin and he hits it and it was the most it was the most amazing feeling okay most amazing feeling because it relieved all that pressure so the next time you slam your finger in a dump truck door you think of me you don't cuss and you go get a drill bit alright so see see how I helped see how helpful you leave here you think he gave us spiritual advice but the practical application of that was amazing absolutely amazing So what is, so think about this. James is saying to guard our words. We need to guard our words. When we're, when we're feeling like we're gonna say something hurtful or sinful, we need to take a step back and think about it. What does he say in chapter, in verse 19 again? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, slow to speak. Think before you speak. James is saying, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this needs to be a part of your repertoire here. You've got to work on this. So you got to ask yourself, would you pass that first test? I mean, no, you're not with flying colors, but you're working. That's something you're really working on. You're really, really working on that. Because when I was a baby Christian, I told you... I it was really hard for me. But if you asked me how you doing, I would. Honestly, I get on the bus and I get off the bus with my friend who started going to church with me. And I said, I only cursed five times today. And he'd be like, yeah, me too. It was only three times. And I was like, wow. You know, and we got down to five, four, three, two, none. But if, you, if Jesus said, how you doing? I'd say, great, Lord. I only cursed three times. And he would have given me the biggest hug. Wonderful. Wonderful. So it's an attitude of the heart that we're talking about here. Okay, second, true test of religion. Do we have compassion for those in need? James, James says that we, we not just, it's not just about closing our mouths sometimes, it's about opening our hearts. It's not just about closing our mouths, it's about opening our hearts. James one twenty seven. it says this again, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. To look after orphans and widows. Showing love, okay, to those who are in need is an important part, is a sign of where you are spiritually. Do I have pure religion? One of the reasons, one of the ways you can say yes is, are you taking care of? Do you care about those who are in need? And James focuses on the most needy of his day, which were orphans and widows. Why? Because they were defenseless. Orphans and widows around the world, maybe in the United States they get a little, they have a little more protection, but around the world, orphans and widows are defenseless. Do you remember, um, when we talked about a couple weeks ago, like last week and the week before, we talked about why Jesus got angry. And we said, it, he, never, he never got angry when someone did or said something to Him. Where Jesus got angry was when he saw indifference to human suffering. That made him angry. Righteously angry. He had every right to be... So, it's an indifference to human suffering. Think about Jesus Christ. That's what made him angry. Both orphans and widows are seen in the Word of God as those who need special care. These are people who need special care. And James not only tells us who we should be taking care of and who we should love, Okay, who we should love, but also how we should show that love to them. And he uses this phrase, he uses these two words. He says, look after, to look after. To look after doesn't just mean to go to someone's house and and pay a social visit. It means that we need to give them whatever assistance that they need. We need to bring whatever assistance those people need. They are defenseless. They need our help. So he doesn't just say who to love. He says how to love them. Whatever their needs are, you need to meet those needs. So he says look after. It's the same word that we find in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 36 where it says uh, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and it says you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Understand something. Being in prison in the United States in 2016 is not the same as being in prison thousands of years ago. When you were in prison thousands of years ago, many people died in prison because if someone didn't come and look after them, bring them water, bring them food, they starved to death or they died of thirst. The people weren't like, hey, three squares a day and here's someone. That's not what happened. If someone in your family or someone didn't love you enough to come and visit you and, and when you were in prison or when you were sick, you could die. That's what he's talking about there. So then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40, it says, the king replied, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He turns right around and says, whatever you did not do for one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did not do for me. How important is this to Jesus? It's what, the only couple of things we see that made him angry, showing disrespect to the holiness of God, and, and when people did not take care of those who were in need. And he lays it out in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40, where he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you, you are, it's literally, okay, it's like giving it to God. When you get to heaven, Jesus is gonna to come to you, and he's going to say, thank you so much when you were on that mission trip. I was so hungry. I was so hurt. I just lost my mom. I just lost my dad. And you sat with me for days. And you you, you held my hand. And you hugged me. And you loved me. And, you, and that was so, thank you so much. And you're going to say, Lord, when did I see you? And he's going to say, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he says the opposite, whatever you did not do, you did not do for me. And the and you read that passage, it doesn't turn out too well for those people. See, that's where that's where We need to be. And that's one of the reasons, honestly, we started our marketplace ministry. We started doing marketplace ministry and doing business tree in this church. We, as a congregation, we engaged in the marketplace because we look at the suffering of people all around us and around the world and said, we need the resources beyond what the church is able to even give. We need resources where we can generate income. We can take that and invest it in the lives of people around the world so they're able to take care of themselves. And I asked I asked Jason to come and just share for a couple of minutes, um, some some of the highlights of the projects that are going on in Nigeria. So, Jason, I hope when he's testing is that working. Yep.
1: All right. Good. Hello. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Um, Jeff, through the months, the past several months, Jeff has uh, given updates on our farming project that we're doing in Nigeria. Just kind of recap what's happening. Uh, we have two farming projects that's going in Nigeria. The first one is the, the farmers project that we're working with farmers in the village. We'd started a while back, there was four, and now it's grown to seven. Uh, to explain this, back to Jeff's point and uh, James's point, uh, in scripture, the orphan and widow and how we're supposed to look after them. Uh, us as a church body, the body of Christ, yes, we could, we could step in and we could just go take care of them as far as the, the United States Church or us here. But what we want want to do is we want to include the communities, not just to take care of them, but also understand James and what he's saying. So as back-to-back and this village that we work with, the Kisayat Village, there are just under 30, 30 children that we work with, okay? They don't go to an orphanage, they go back to the village, but they're... They're vulnerable children, they're orphaned, maybe they're half-orphaned, and usually the ones that are taking care of them is a widow or a widower, sometimes the grandparents or the aunts and uncles. So somebody is struggling to take care of them. We don't want to remove that. We want them to stay in their community, but they still need help. So it's one thing to come in and offer them help, but it's something else to allow the community to understand that there's a problem and then allow them to come in and be a part of the solution to help. So our first farming project is with the seven farmers, what we have is what we do is we've gathered these seven farmers. We explained what we're doing and we've given them the seed. We've given them fertilizer and we've given them land to actually farm on. Mm-hmm. We've given them four plots each and uh, four plots is about a quarter of an acre. So that kind of gives you an idea what they're working with. They're going to be growing corn and they're going to be growing Irish potatoes. All right. So after they yield that. They give us 30%. That could either be 30% of the crops or 30% of the profit that they gain from that. We take that money, they give it back to us, and then we put it back into the community to help those children and the widows or the caregivers that are taking care of them. And we basically just have set up a platform that allows them to be a part of their own community. And it's already grown, and we're excited to see where it can go as well. So um, it's just a great way to... um, uh, to bring the awareness to them and to also empower them, but the great thing about it is it sets initiative. It's we're not like paying them to do it; they're doing it on their own, so they have something to gain from as well. But they're also giving back. All right. Uh, the the second um, project that we have is we have SSC has a lot of property, uh, about 56 acres, 50 something, um, and we've taken two acres fenced in. And we are growing all sorts of different kinds of things. We have a widow. Her name is Julie. She's related to Daniel Osama, who is the site director in Nigeria. And she already had like a nursery that was very small that she was doing. We have a few pictures up here. Uh, I was there in May. And uh, so these are fresh pictures. Um, and this is the property that I'm talking about right now, just the, the two acres. And so she had a nursery. So now she's overseeing these two acres and growing stuff. Now, a lot of the stuff that we're growing is not necessarily normal to Nigeria in terms of what's grown there that's eaten on a regular basis. So Daniel, that's Daniel Sama. He gave me a list of the things that um, we're growing. And I, by the way, I'm not a farmer. Seeing all this made me want to be a farmer. Um, so I had to uh, make a list of the things that we're growing. So we're growing broccoli, beetroot, chives, cucumber, uh, moringa, rosemary. And then we have just in that property we have over 200 trees and those trees are avocados, mangoes, oranges, guava, papaya, apples, and plums, alright? So this area right here is a test model. It's it's to, to learn what we can grow. It's also something that we can take the kids back to have them be a part of this program and also the farmers to say, oh, they're growing corn and or maize and Irish potatoes, but here's something else that can be grown, and this is how you do it. So we're trying to take what they're doing and just help them do it a little bit better. The other part of this is is... Some of these things that we're growing that aren't necessarily common to the, the surroundings of what people um, consume is we are looking at like uh, restaurants. And in Jos, where we're at, there's not a lot of big restaurants. But in Abuja, four hours away, which is the capital, there's a lot of um, a lot of restaurants. So, a quick story: when we were when I was leaving Nigeria in May, Daniel drove back with me. Uh, typically I pack a peanut butter and jelly and that's my meal. Well, this time we went to this really nice restaurant and Daniel doesn't always communicate what's happening all the time. So that, all right, he would just want to take me out to a nice restaurant. Well, while we're there, he approached one of the employees and say, Hey, can I talk to your manager? And he's like, is there a problem? He said, I just, I just need to talk to your manager. So the manager came up and Daniel said, Hey, I want to, I want to share with you what we're doing. So Daniel starts sharing with us. This manager is from Europe somewhere. So he was not Nigerian, uh, but he had this, this restaurant business and he had a few others. So Daniel shared with him what we were doing, had a list of the things that he, uh, that we were growing, and the guy said, hey, give me some samples and we'll test it and we'll see if this is something we we'll would do. So Daniel's doing a great job networking, he's really good at that, and so he's already connected with other places. So the hope is that eventually as we start to grow some of this stuff, Daniel can Get that out there, and we can start maybe some sort of business. And and why we're doing this, we can also take the children that we work with, and even the widows that we work with, and incorporate them them into this. So God's got this big plan. We're just being a part of it. So it's cool to see where it's going to go, and it's really exciting. But this is more than just an update. This is also a prayer request. As I give this update, uh, as Jeff knows, we've been doing this a long time, and it's great on paper. Um, but right now, I really feel good about what's happening. Things are falling in place. We've got the right people. Things are working out. But we've had um, we've had uh, pumps stolen. We've had fertilizer stolen. We've had uh, big, huge tanks rolled down the hill stolen in broad daylight. We've had um, we had a bacteria that was in the soil that did not allow us for two years that did not allow us to grow the things we wanted to. So as as believers and we're pushing the kingdom forward, there's always going to be opposition in that Satan. And so he's always we're always under attack and he wants us to quit. Well, we haven't quit. All right. And that's that's a testament to this body here who's continue to give. That's a testament to the staff there and Jeff, who keeps talking about it. And we're I feel like we're on the cusp. Things are going really well. So it's just exciting. So please be praying for that as we continue to be obedient and push this forward. But I see a lot of great opportunity, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. So.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thanks a lot. You know, and a couple other things, just real very, very quickly, as Jason was saying, that last, last year we had, what, three, Jason? Yeah. Three farmers. Now we have seven, right? So we over doubled uh, the amount of farmers. And, uh, and Julie, um, when she was working with her own... She's kind of like parable of the talents. Here's someone who's successful already with a tiny piece of land. Let's give her a whole lot of land and a borehole that you all paid for. And the fertilizer you all paid for for the farmers. Look, it's doubled, okay, already. Julie um, had already had two other widows working with her. Julie has put two of her kids through university. She has five other kids. She's taking care of those kids. She's hiring other widows with other children. She's hiring them because she's doing so well all right now if they expand into this other market she'll hire even more people and look how many children are being taken care of look at, because of marketplace ministry because we're not just giving someone something to eat we're saying no you're an entrepreneur let us invest let us invest in you here's the thing this takes a while for we started self-sustaining enterprises with the idea that we would generate income from our business trees as we call them to invest the, the, that money in developing countries where they we, we can help them, you know, fund initiatives that can't fund themselves like education, healthcare, and all the things we're talking about. But that takes time, and we are now we are profitable. Our, our self-sustaining enterprise is profitable in the thousands. I'd like to see it in the millions and we will will get there, just so you know. It's a fact waiting to happen. We will get there. But while we're getting there, children are hurting, okay? And so that's why we need to continue to give, honestly. Summertime, people kind of... If you haven't given, if you're not a tither, if you're not a giver, what we just described to you is where a lot of our resources go to impact people's lives. I want to challenge you to grow in spiritual maturity and begin to give so we can continue to invest the resources that we need to invest in these young entrepreneurs and these widows who can really impact people's lives. All right, so I know it's a, uh, I know it's a late, but it's only it's only 12:05. Give me 10 more minutes and, and we're done here. All right, so number number three, number three, final test. All right, are you keeping yourself from being polluted by the world? Are you keep? This is the. I think this one's really difficult. Are you keeping yourself from being polluted by the world? In in uh, in verse 27, the latter part of verse 27, James is saying that true religion motivates us to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. He uses the word un. Unsp- it's like the, the word meaning unspotted, which comes from the Greek word aspilos, which which where we get the English word to spill. And so when he talks about unspotted, what he's saying is literally what it means is not spilled upon. So as we go into the world and we interact with the world, James is saying we cannot allow ourselves to be spotted by the world with sin. We can't allow it to permeate our lives. We need to stay unstained, if you will, from the world around us. If you read the Bible and then you hear... you First you read the Bible and you understand what the Word of God says. And then you hear and you see what the world is saying and the world is doing, you realize that the Word of God and the world are going in two different directions. Two completely different directions. Let me read you a passage. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 it says this, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. I'm going to read that again. But among you there not, must not even be a hint a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Is that not clear enough? Compare that to our culture. Compare that to the world. In many ways, a follower of Jesus Christ and the world are incompatible. The way the world thinks and the way God thinks are not compatible. Let's be honest. If you are going to be the Christian that God is calling you to be, that God wants you to be, you are going to have to choose between being a follower of the world and a follower of Jesus Christ. And you think, well, you know, no, you know, things can be gray and God doesn't care and God just, God's just love, He loves everything and everyone so He doesn't care. Let me read you Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30. It says this, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So let me be clear what, what, what the Bible lays out here. If you are in alignment with the cultural, the social issues of this world, our culture in America, if you are in alignment with all the social issues of this world, okay, then you are with the world. Just be clear. And this part of the test, you're kind of failing a little bit. Ask yourself where do I stand on the social issues of the day, and if you say I align with every social issue or most of the social issues that are coming out today, then you have to ask yourself some deep questions. Because if you take what the world thinks and take what God thinks, you just flip it around. What the world thinks, God usually thinks the complete opposite. And He's saying we cannot be tainted by this world and what the world thinks. This is an easy test. This this part of the test is easy. You have to ask yourself: Do I align with the Word? of God, or do I align with the world? If you align with the world, then you need to work on this area of your life. You need to know the word of God. So what does this look like for us day to day as believers? What it looks like is that we need to, you and I, individually, we need to critically evaluate, and when you're you a parent, Just don't say to your kids all the time, don't do this and you can't do that and don't do this and you should never do that. What you need to say is you need to critic, as a believer in Christ, you're a follower of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ. As a follower of Christ, you need to critically evaluate everything you do in your life. You need to critically evaluate the movies you you, you watch. The TV shows that you watch, the music that you listen to, the people that you're spending time with, the activities that you're involved with, the language that you use. I don't, I don't, you know what, you can, of course you want to teach your children not to do certain things, but it's more valuable to look at your child who is a follower of Christ and say, you need to take the word of God and critically evaluate how you're living your life in every area of your life. And let the Holy Spirit do his job. I, I'm going to tell you a secret. The Holy Spirit is better than you at getting your children to do what you want them to do. Point out that they're a follower of Jesus Christ and point out that they need to critically evaluate what they're doing in their lives. We need to make sure that our activities are in alignment with the Word of God and make sure that we're not being polluted by the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 17, it says this, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. See, this idea of separation doesn't mean that we withdraw from our culture completely. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what Jesus wants for us. He says that we need to keep ourselves separate from the sin of this world. We need to stay clear of places. Some of you, more than others, honestly, need to stay clear of places and people that will cause you to fall in temptation. You know what your temptations are. You need to make sure that you're keeping yourself clear from... From people in places that are nothing to want to do nothing but pull you down and cause you to fall in that temptation. If you want to keep pure, if you want to keep clean, stay out of the swamp, stay out of the sewer. Right? It's pretty simple. Now. I am not saying, I want to say this again, I am not saying that you need to isolate yourself from the world. That's not what Jesus wants. In John chapter 17 and verse 15, Jesus says this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus wants us to lead people into a personal relationship with Him. How can we do that if we are not engaged in relationships and not engaged in our culture and not engaged in our community and not reaching out in love? How can we do that? We need to stay in the world, but we cannot be a part of the world, if you will. You need to be in the world, but not of the world. Let's say that we're all ships, okay? A ship belongs in the water, but the water needs to stay on the outside of the ship so it doesn't sink. Get in the water, okay, but don't allow the water to get inside your ship so it takes you down. We belong in culture. We belong... We need to engage culture. We need to make sure that we are staying pure to what God has called us to do. And the best way for us to keep clean and pure is to read... Listen to me. Don't don't let it one ear out the other. Read the Word of God and apply the Word of God to your life. Remember what we talked about last week? We talked about the Bible is like a mirror. You look in the mirror and it helps you to reflect... It helps you to see flaws and errors in your Christian walk. And how you should be aligned with God. How do I stay aligned with God? And, and the Bible helps us to see the sins, the, the failures, the, the flaws and the errors. And it's good because we can reflect on that. And then we can see where we're falling short. And then ask God through his power to help us to grow in those areas. So closing out, I want you to bow your heads with me as we close. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing in these three areas? How am I doing? And honestly, these are, don't poke the person next to you. Don't, again, turn the mirror. Focus on yourself. Am I keeping a tight rein on my tongue? If not, okay, something I need to work on. Am I showing compassion to those in need? Am I, am I latching on to my resources and my time so much that I'm not giving? And I'm not giving on myself or my time to help those who are in desperate need. Am I, am I keeping myself from being polluted by the world? You're the only one who can truly, truly, in your heart, answer those questions. And listen to me, please. If you feel like you're falling short, that's just an opportunity for growth. You should not leave here feeling guilty or, or all, you know, like, oh, woe is me, I'm a terrible person. Absolutely, positively not. James lays these things out so that we can look at our own lives, right? Look into the Word of God, look into our lives, so that we can reflect on that in our lives, and so that we can change in areas where we need to change and grow. God is a patient God. He loves us. And he wants us to look, he wants us to reflect, and he wants us to change. And if we're willing to do that, then God will be pleased with us. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to look and reflect and change our lives. And we ask that we would do it to the power of your resurrection. God, work in our lives in a powerful way so that we can reach out and love to everyone around us and that we can honor you. By living holy lives. We want to be holy like you are holy. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great week.